Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Okay, so today's guest is Mike Payton. Mike is an award-winning speaker, best-selling author, and is a certified EOS implementer. He is also the visionary for EOS worldwide. Since discovering the entrepreneurial operating system a dozen years ago, Chaitin has conducted more than 1,200 full-day sessions with leadership teams of more than 110 companies and helped thousands of entrepreneurs by sharing EOS in workshops worldwide. As a visionary of EOS Worldwide, he leads a close-knit community of more than 351 professionals of EOS implementers around the globe. Peyton, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, Peyton, tell me more about your background. How did you get started with EOS? So I grew up in an entrepreneurial household and right out of college made the decision to take a different path and went into banking, much to my parents' chagrin. And my father sat me down and explained to me that Mark Twain called a banker someone who gives you an umbrella when it's nice outside and takes it back when it begins to rain. So that gives you some idea how he felt about my career choice. But I I really enjoyed learning about business from the balance sheet and the income statement on in as a banker and quickly found I was happiest when I was surrounded by my clients, entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders. And so I always felt like what I was doing was learning the art and science of business and and ultimately would take that leap myself. And so after banking, after about a dozen years in banking, I ran or helped run four entrepreneurial companies. Two were great successes, two were major train wrecks. And it was the fourth opportunity, one of those train wrecks that led me to discover EOS. I was trying to find a way to reach the founder of the business and partner with her to take the company to the next level. And in doing so, uh, discovered EOS and fell in love with it. Fantastic. So uh, with EOS, what, what appealed to you so much about EOS for people that, that don't understand what, what that is? Yeah. So number one is its simplicity. So it's a set of simple, practical tools, timeless concepts that would make people who own and run entrepreneurial companies, whether or not they have a tremendous amount of business acumen, get more of what they want from their businesses. The second thing beyond the simplicity was its ability to help really good companies. I think a lot of business books and, and a lot of prescriptive solutions out there for business owners and business leaders seem to appeal to the companies that are chaotic, dysfunctional, etc. And what I saw in EOS was a set of tools and concepts that would make really good companies, well-run businesses, solid leaders, get that much better. And so that very much excited me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of EOS. We're, we're using it as well. So what are the components of this system? Can you sort of break that out 
correct? You, you bet. And, and this was, you know, everything I'm about to share was based on a series of discoveries. Gino Wickman, the creator of EOS, founder of EOS Worldwide, noticed in helping entrepreneurs and their leadership teams solve the common business problems facing small, rapidly growing, privately held businesses. And so one of the things he discovered is all issues, problems, challenges, obstacles, new ideas, unrealized opportunities, all of those things tend to fall into what he calls six key components or six major areas that every business is either really strong at or really weak at. And we refer to them as the six key components. And so the vision component is about making sure everybody in the organization is 100% on the same page with where you're going and how you plan to get there. The people component is about ensuring you have great people to achieve your great vision. And, And quite frankly, it's really about taking the time to define what a great person is in your unique organization because every company, every team of people describes that differently. The third key component is the data component. That's about running the business on objective information, on facts and figures rather than the subjective feelings, egos, emotions that so often drive entrepreneurial decision-making. When you're strong in the vision, people, and data components, what happens is your organization becomes transparent, crystal clear. All your imperfections, impurities tend to bubble to the surface, and we call those issues. And so that's the fourth key component, getting really good at recognizing issues as they arise and setting them up, knocking them down and making them go away forever rather than letting them linger for weeks, months, sometimes quarters and years. The fifth key component is the process component. And the process component is about getting the most important things in your business done the right and best way every time, even when you're not there to coach, mentor, or nudge people out of the way and do it yourself because it's too important. And then the sixth key component is called Traction, the title of the book that described the system 13, 14 years ago when it was first published. And Traction is about instilling discipline and accountability throughout the organization. So as you wander around your business, you see everybody executing on that vision, actually making it feel like you're achieving the vision every day. It's getting closer rather than getting more and more elusive. Mm, Yeah, that's a great breakdown. Now, I mean... Every company kind of sort of does some of these things well. I mean, out of these components, when you work with these companies, which one do you find is is the most sort of challenging or their their biggest weakness for the companies that you've dealt with? Yeah, I would separate that into two two mm-hmm. questions, actually, because sure. often the most frustrating or challenging is the people component. But when we work mm-hmm. with leadership teams to assess their organizations, zero to 100% strong in each of yep. those key components, the component with the highest score is the people component. So I've got clients <laughs> who, are, who are weak in, in four of the six components, really weak, and they're yeah. pretty strong in the people component, but it's that one, two, or three people in your organization that maybe don't fit your culture or aren't independently great at their job every week, that's where your frustration and your pain is because dealing with humans can be challenging and frustrating and agonizing. And so it's two separate issues, very common for organizations to need help in all six. And and one of the things I want your listeners and viewers to know is that 
we're obsessed about strengthening all six key components because even if you're strong in five of the six, the challenges, frustrations, and obstacles you're going to encounter are going to be created by that one where you're weak. But, but certainly the most frustrating is the people component. Mm. So you mentioned the, the one to the three people that, that are sort of not, not working. Well, how do you identify those people? Yeah, so uh, we, we teach from Jim Collins' concept of having the right people in the right seats on your bus. And one of the things we do very early is we help leadership teams separate those two ideas. A right person is someone who consistently exhibits the core values of your organization. They fit your culture like a glove. You want to surround yourselves with other people just like that, the way they're hardwired, their characteristics, attributes, behaviors, attitudes. That's what a right person is, is somebody who fits. The second part of that statement, right seats, is defined as somebody who's consistently excellent at his or her job. They get, want, and have the capacity to do the five things you need a person good at that job to be great at every day to take your company where it needs to go. And simply by separating those two ideas into two distinct ideas, we tend to demystify and decomplexify those two thoughts because I can't tell you personally how many times I was struggling with a person on my team because they were an absolute yes in one of those ideas. Maybe they fit the culture, but they weren't very good at their job, or they were great at their job and they didn't fit the culture. And I kept trying to mush those two ideas together into one holistic picture. And it made me wonder what the hell to do for most of my career about the people that didn't quite fit. And so separating them is really critical. Now, you mentioned get it, want it, and have the capacity. For those that don't know, can you sort of dig into those each and give a little bit more of a description? Yes, and it's a great indication of what I mean by simple, timeless, practical tools. So... This tool is referred to as GWC. G stands for gets it. The way you're hardwired, your genetic encoding, does it match the demands of this job? And so I'll, when I'm, I'm talking to a room full of leaders, I'll ask the finance seat owner if he or she would ever hire a graphic designer to be a bookkeeper. And usually they shake their head violently no. And then I'll ask the marketing leader or the person who does the most work with graphic designers and I'll say, well, you, would you ever ask a bookkeeper to be your graphic designer? And they'll be just as violent in saying no. And that's the gets it. That's the way somebody's hardwired and whether their hardwiring matches the unique demands of the job. The W stands for wants it. And this is somebody who genuinely springs out of bed every day wanting to be great at that job, not somebody who needs or wants a job, uh, not somebody who shows up every day because they're required to. It's somebody who's passionate about and obviously intentional about being great at their job. And you can feel a wants it. You can't pay people to want it. You can't coach and mentor them to want it. They just need to internally innately want it. And then the C stands for capacity to do it. 
capacity to do it is about the acquired ability, the education, training, be that professional or on the job training, experience, stamina, strength, whatever goes into the skills you can acquire to consistently execute well in the role. That's what capacity to do it means. And somebody who's in the right seat has all three of those things, the G, the W, and the C in spades, and you don't have to worry about those kind of people. Yeah, so it's always good to have the right person in the right seat. And I know the other uh, scenario is the right person in the wrong seat. And, and you, you still want to keep this person around because obviously they're, they're valuable. But how do you go about convincing people? Like, let's say they, they have a, the, a position where they have a greater title, but maybe they, they become more of a specialist and you have to transition them. How do you approach that whole process? Yeah, slowly and with care is, <laughs> is, is, the, is, the, is the short answer. But, but for us, it all starts with ensuring that the leadership team is thinking about first what their organization needs from a structure standpoint without their own egos or their own histories injecting themselves into the thought process. To be perfectly Mm -hmm. candid with you, sometimes the owner is operating as the CEO, the president, the head of sales, the head of ops, the head of finance, and has trouble letting go of anything Mm -hmm. because I founded this company and and people are looking to me for answers. So by God, I'm going to give them, right? And so what we do in the very early stages of implementing EOS is we get the leadership team in the room, we have them roll up their sleeves and act as though they're just the board of directors for this business. They don't have a role in the company. And we ask Mm -hmm. them to identify the major functions of the business. What are the things that we need to do well every day to take our company to the next level? And then they define each seat at the leadership team level very carefully. Maybe the first seat is the head of marketing and sales. And so we ask them to define Mm -hmm. what the five roles are. What does that person need to be great at to take our company to the next level? And we might do that with operations and then finance and then the integrator seat. And if there's a visionary in the organization, we clearly define the visionary seat. And then and only then do we start asking who in this organization, if anyone, gets out of bed every day ready to be great at those five things in that seat. And we only put people's names in the seat when we think they're going to be great at it every day. And so if we start at the leadership level by requiring that, it starts gradually to become very easy to require that at every level of the organization so that your janitor or your front desk person or a teller or whatever it is your business is, Every one of those people is held accountable to the same very high standard. You've got a GWC, the five roles in that seat, or you don't get the seat. And that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on someone who's holding on to a title or responsibility or turf because they love the title of the responsibility or the turf <laughs> because, yeah. because they're under pressure to be great at that job every day, even if they happen to own 100% of the organization. Yeah, definitely. When I got introduced to EOS because I was trying to retune our org chart, and then someone says, 
no, you don't need to retune your org chart. You got to create an accountability chart. And that's what put us onto uh, EOS. Can you explain that accountability chart? I think you kind of mentioned it in structure, but maybe uh, go into it a little bit more. Yeah, that exercise I shared with you, which we actually do on the morning of the first full day we spend with a leadership team, is the exercise to begin building the company's accountability chart, starting at the leadership level and and migrating into the organization until if you have 40 people in your company, we want all 40 seats clearly defined and their reporting and communication lines clearly defined. So everybody knows who's accountable for what. That's what an accountability chart is. An org chart where you simply mention somebody's title and name tends to focus people on titles and hierarchy. Who's got power? Who's in charge of what? Whereas accountability chart is designed to crystallize for everyone exactly what they're accountable for, their teammates are accountable for, and the people throughout the organization are accountable for. So on an accountability chart, you have the function name and marketing and sales is the name of a function. Executive vice president of marketing and sales is a title and with it tends to come perceptions of power or ego feeding or what have you. And then also in the seat are the five roles, the five things you need a person to be great at every day to earn and keep his or her seat. And then you have the person's name or the number of people who hold that role. And so it's it's designed for clarity and simplicity, not ego and power and uh, hierarchy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And within that sort of accountability chart, what was really powerful for us was the visionary and integrator concept. I know that not every company has a visionary, but can you describe those two uh, roles within the uh, accountability chart? You bet. And again, this stems from another discovery that most of the founders of entrepreneurial companies are great builders of things, challengers of the status quo, drivers of change. They love big relationships. They're good at leading and inspiring people, keeping an absolute pulse on the culture of the organization, but getting in the trenches and leading and managing people daily is a struggle for them. And keeping the trains running on time sort of sucks energy from most visionary entrepreneurs. So, you know, it's basically the visionary and integrator seat is an acknowledgement that as you grow from zero employees to 100 employees, the value of somebody who builds, changes, and invents things starts to decline. And the value of somebody who keeps the trains running on time, drives accountability, creates clarity and simplicity, makes things more efficient, begins to increase. And if you don't acknowledge that as your organization grows, what ends up happening is one of two things. The first thing is you have a visionary who's stuck in the integrator seat. That's the person who keeps the trains running on time, drives accountability, accepts personal responsibility for the company achieving everything it's trying to achieve, satisfying the clients, growing the business, achieving profitability objectives, making things more efficient, et cetera. And what that does when you identify those roles for the integrator is it frees the visionary up to get back to what he or she is passionate about and best at, which is imagining a new future, 
convincing people around them that barriers are not unconquerable, asking the why not, what if, what's next question regularly. That's the difference between the visionary and the integrator seat. And if you're a visionary entrepreneur and you feel stuck in a job that requires you to keep the trains running on time, it's designed to help free you up to go back to what made you great in the first place. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. One of the other things that we found really powerful was your, like you said, your issue solving. I guess you call it, your process is IDS within the standardized meeting structure. Can you, can you describe that a bit for us? Yeah, so the tool is actually called the Issue Solving Track. It's a, t- it's a tool designed to keep your team on track when it's grappling with a problem, challenge, obstacle, or an exciting new opportunity, a great idea, et cetera. Issues are both positive and negative. And the track is really a three-part track called IDS. I stands for identify, D stands for discuss, S stands for solve. So one of the discoveries we made is fast-moving entrepreneurial leadership teams have a tendency to want to solve every issue as it arises, as it arises, and often they don't take the time to identify the real root cause of the issue. And so they're sharing opinions, conjecture, yammering about the way things always used to work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. leadership teams left to their own devices seem to be really, really good at discussing the heck out of their issues. But if you don't start by identifying the real root cause of an issue, why sales are off track, why customer satisfaction is taking a hit, what we need to change or do differently or decide in order to never have to talk about this issue again, then you're just spinning your wheels. Once the issue is clearly defined, the discussion can be significantly more efficient. Everybody weighs in very quickly. You never repeat yourself because when you say things more than once, you're politicking and we don't have time or energy for politicking in an entrepreneurial company. And so that's the rule on the discuss step of the issue solving track is just say it once, make your position clear, and we're going to move to solve. Solve is about agreeing on a plan that we believe will make the issue go away forever. It's very oriented on solving the issue for the long-term greater good, making a decision, agreeing to take action, and then writing down those action steps so there's some accountability for following through to actually solve the issue. We find that if we implement that discipline in an entrepreneurial company, it gets really good at setting their issues up as they arise, knocking them down and making them go away forever. And worst case scenario, you implement a plan to solve an issue. It doesn't work. And you got to IDS the issue again. At least in that situation, you've checked one potential solve off the list and you can move on to something else. Sounds great. Now, I know myself and some other people kind of refer to EOS as an alignment system. And one of the, some of the key components are, I guess, concepts of quarterly rocks and scorecard. Can you sort of uh, touch on those? Yeah. So I would say you and your friends are, are talking exactly right. We refer to EOS a lot as a system for managing human energy or harmonizing human energy, getting all those powerful balls of energy in your organization 
aiming in one direction. Because when you have some people aiming this way and some people aiming that way, you're just spinning your wheels. The opposite of that is the idea that you're gaining real traction. And so one of the things we do after building out that leadership team accountability chart in the first full day we spend with our clients is we set rocks for the first time. Rocks is a term coined by Stephen Covey and popularized by Vern Harnish to describe business priorities. And in an EOS company, a company rock is just one of the three to seven most important priorities for our organization over the next 90 days. An individual rock is one of the three to seven priorities for me over the next 90 days. And so when we do this first full day session together, oftentimes we're working with a team that's never really clearly and simply defined what the company's true priorities are and what each of our individual priorities are to help the company achieve its vision is a very powerful discipline that creates what we call a 90-day world for the organization, where every 90 days we come up and get clear on our priorities for the coming quarter, aligned around what's truly important, and start holding one another accountable to executing on those priorities rather than being distracted by shiny stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then scorecard. How does scorecard fit into this? I guess the data component. Yeah, Scorecard is the tool we use to strengthen the data component. And what we focus on to make you uh, really have an absolute pulse on what's working and not working in your entrepreneurial company is a weekly scorecard reviewed by the leadership team in a weekly level 10 meeting that includes 5 to 15 leading indicators activities-based numbers that predict future financial results or customer satisfaction survey results or whatever the end game is. These are numbers that predict how you're going to perform in the end game. And we help the leadership team and each member of that team obsess about keeping those weekly leading indicators on track because if those leading indicators are on track, we're going to get the results we want a month a quarter or a year from now. And in most entrepreneurial organizations, one of the reasons their data component isn't very strong is, if anything, they're looking at trailing economic data after that data has already been baked. And so if you're reacting to sales being off track in your first quarter or the first half of the year, you're really starting to change things in a way that's going to impact the way 2021 works, not the year you're in now, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you, you talked a bit about sort of forward thinking. There's the vision component and the, the VTO tool, a vision traction organizer. How does that fit all into all this? Yeah, so the, the vision component, when you're 100% strong in the vision component, there's two steps we take. The first is to get the owner and the leadership team 100% on the same page with where you're going and how you plan to get there. Because most of the time, everybody's got a slightly different view of where we're going, how we plan to get there, who's going to do what, what's most important right now. Okay, And the tool we use for that is the Vision Traction Organizer. We call it the VTO for short. And the VTO is just eight sections or eight questions that fit on two pages. 
The first page is the vision page, and there are five questions in the vision page of the VTO. What are your core values? What's your core focus? What's your 10-year target or your big goal? What's your marketing strategy, and what's your three-year picture? The traction side of the document includes three questions. Your one-year plan, in other words, what are the numbers you've got to hit this year to achieve your long-term vision? And what are your three to seven most important priorities? Your quarterly rocks, those are the things I just described a few minutes ago. And what is your long-term issues list is the third question. And so what we do with our leadership team is we get them to agree on those eight answers, put their answers on the VTO, which is just a two-page document, no 35-page strategic plans in an entrepreneurial company. (laughs) And we get the leadership team 100% on the same page. When the leadership team's on the same page and the other 35 members of your company are coming to ask you questions, now all of a sudden when they say, hey, Tats, where are we going? How do we plan to get there? I'm not sure how, we're, how this fits into our long-term vision. Every member of your leadership team is able to answer that question using the same language, the same words, the same numbers, et cetera. And that's how we get the vision, what we call shared by all, helping everybody understand where you're going, how you plan to get there, what my role in that vision is, And then they're able to make an informed choice. Do I want to be part of helping this organization achieve its vision? And if I do, I'm going to dig in, seek to understand and execute hard. And if I don't, I'm going to leave. And we believe either way, that's key to getting you surrounded by 40 people that want the same thing you want, have the skills, experience and passion to achieve your vision. Without that, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, now you wrote a really great book with Gina Wickman, Get a Grip, which I've read, and I've uh, bought and shared copies with other people. How did that book come to be? Well, thank you very much, first of all. Very grateful for your support. So I was in one of my quarterly planning sessions with the rest of the implementer community a year and a half into my EOS implementer journey. And in my three-year picture, I had a bullet that said, I'd like to write an EOS book. And so after the session, I walked up to Gino and said, hey, Gino, this is in my three-year picture. And in my, <laughs> mind, in my mind, it's a business fable. And Gino said, wow, it's also in my three-year picture. And I think it should be a business fable too. And so we, we collaborated on whether or not this was a good idea, when it should happen, compared notes about character studies and the layout of the book and that sort of thing. And then, and then we worked together to push it over the finish line and bring it to fruition. But uh, really just something both of us felt would be a valuable asset to our followers and, and readers. And it was a labor of love and I'm grateful for everything I learned uh, getting it out there. That's awesome. That's great. So I know you're busy, you do a lot of speeches and, and go around to and help facilitate these sessions with uh, many different uh, companies. What are your top three habits or routines that help you sort of keep it all together? <laughs> well, if you'd ask my kids, 
I think you might get a completely different answer to this question, just so we're clear. <laughs> so my, my, this isn't so much a habit as it is a mindset. I'll, the, the first thing I'll mm-hmm. start with is stay connected to your passion. Mm. So I am really lousy at executing on things I don't have any passion for. And one of the things that attracted me to EOS was this acknowledgement that that's just normal for entrepreneurs, that we are really, really good and disciplined and determined and hardworking and willing to endure a tremendous amount of sacrifice and self-deprecation in order to get to a (laughs) they're deeply about. But when there's no passion there, we're just average to below average and, and you just run out of steam and your mindset starts going. So I'd say that's mindset number one. Habit number two is setting aside time to think and be clear. And so in an EOS company, there's a tool called the Clarity Break that we teach leaders and managers because we believe if you're not clear and confident as a leader, if you're feeling overwhelmed, oppressed, frustrated, every time somebody knocks on a door, if your natural attitude, even if you're professional enough not to let people hear or see this in you, but if your natural (laughs) attitude is, what the heck do you want? You can't be a great leader and manager, and you can't help people see and understand your vision and get out of their own way if you can't get out of your own. So setting aside time to think and be clear by scheduling clarity breaks on a bi-weekly basis for me. Some of my clients do it weekly, some do it every month, but setting aside time with no electronics, no busy work, just to think and be clear is, is habit number two. And then habit number three, I'd say, is prioritizing personal wellness. So mentally and physically investing time and energy to be at your best. And I had to be cured of this mindset that everybody else came first. And somebody said to me once that you can't fill anybody else's cup if yours isn't full. And so I am very mindful about prioritizing physical wellness good eating habits, better fitness habits, et cetera, and mental wellness habits. I see a mind-body spiritualist on a regular basis to get help being at my best and living my best life and being present for the people around me that matter. And so those are my three. Great. Now, is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? (laughs) That is a great way to end the podcast. So you didn't ask me what drives me crazy or what holds entrepreneurs back the most. Ah, I get that question a lot. So if you're curious, I'd be happy to answer. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what I would say is people who don't want help drive me crazy. There's a place in the world for that. It's just not the kind of person I am and not the kind of person I want to be surrounded by. So what I want to say to your listeners who struggle with this from time to time, because I have struggled with it in my career for sure, is that asking for help is a sign of strength. Running an entrepreneurial company is lonely business indeed. 
And if there's nobody out there you can talk to when things don't feel right, when you're struggling, you don't know the right answer, it's going to get more and more lonely until you just chuck it all in. And so I just urge everybody to please know that none of us deserves to go through this life with nobody available to help. And if you want help, people like me, the 355 other professional EOS implementers around the globe, we're all hardwired with a core value called help first. We just live to help people live less lonely lives, feel more normal because other people are dealing with the same kind of problems and help you get everything you want from running your entrepreneurial business. So if you want help, it's out there. Great. Well, Peyton, thank you so much. I definitely familiar with the system. I got a few nuggets uh, definitely from from that, and uh, you know, of course, I'm a fan of US. So anyone that anything that Peyton has said speaks to you, I, I highly uh, recommend you check it out. So Peyton, thank you. Thank you. Great pleasure to be here. Enjoyed the conversation a lot. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also, want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.